Um, as you know, we had this weekend our men's conference and our women's dessert, and we're really grateful that uh, both Tony and his family and Brian could stay for us for Sunday. And we've invited Brian to speak, Brian Hommel. He's, he works with UPI. He's going to tell you more about his life and his walk towards the Lord in a moment. But um, we're always grateful when uh, they can remain, and um, we're just really encouraged. Um, Brian, I love your spirit, and I'm, I'm thankful you can share it with our church. All right, good. Is this me? Good morning. Can you hear me? Right. The men's conference had a little problem with the mic. I don't have a lot of mic skills. Um, But I've had a good time getting to hang out with uh, many of you over the last uh, just couple of days and and sharing my life with you and and Tony. And, you know, like I said to the other groups, I wanted to apologize for taking the Graffaninos to Phoenix. Hope you don't hold that against me, but I really feel like. The call that's been on Tony's life is totally of Jesus, and I'm excited about partnering with him in Phoenix. Uh, with what I do with UPI, Unlimited Potential Incorporated, uh, we go around, we're basically kind of like what Pastor John and Terry are, we're pastors to professional baseball players. And so it's a rough life, it's a transitional life. Uh, it's got a lot of ups and downs, a lot of pain and suffering goes along with this life. You see it on the field, you see the baseball players playing, you think it's glorious, but as Tony can attest to, there's a lot of struggle that takes place in that world. And, and so we feel like the Lord's called us to be able to go to them. I remember years ago, I'm the chaplain with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and then during spring training, I, I do Bible studies in three different locations. And so all the teams at spring train in Phoenix will come together, and there's 15 teams. And any given uh, week, we could have anywhere from 150 to 200 ballplayers that will be a part of these studies and so it's a lot. And so having Tony out there with me really frees me up to only have to deal with half the city now instead of the whole city. And so I'm excited. So he's going to have his hands full a little bit. But uh, I'm excited for what he and Nicole bring to the table and just even his family. And, and he, I brought him out in the middle of July. So I'm like, let's just throw him into the fire. If you can survive Phoenix in July, you can survive anywhere. And so that's exciting. But, you know, I remember just years ago being a chaplain with the Diamondbacks and going through a transitional time in my life there. And not knowing if I was going to be able to be chaplain because of something that unfolded. And it was kind of frustrating to me. Here I am trying to pour out to these people, but thinking, man, I'd, I think I'd rather be in Africa. Take my family, go someplace else and just, you know, share Jesus there where people that really want it. Because I was, there was so much rejection, it seemed, at levels with these ballplayers. Because they have everything. And sometimes it's really difficult to share Jesus with somebody who has everything. And uh, But I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, a lot of people can go to Africa, but not just anybody can walk into this environment of this clubhouse and be able to share of Jesus. And having been a former player with the Brewers and Tony had played for 20 years, the favor that we have is, is, is unique, and we want to take advantage of that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm glad Tony's on staff with us. And just being able to see him with different teams already in a short amount of time, it's been pretty cool. So I want to share a little bit about my story with you so that we can connect and uh, that way you can know my heart and I'll be able to hopefully uh, get to know some of yours as well as I have already in the last couple of days. I'm going to open up in prayer and then we'll, we'll get started. Jesus, thanks for this morning. I thank you for the privilege to be able to communicate of your, uh, your greatness, your love. You bring a hope and a mercy, Jesus, that no one else can offer. So oftentimes we look to the things of this world to to try to give us comfort, and it doesn't. 
Relationships can't do that. Only the relationship with you, Jesus, can do that. You give us a peace that transcends even our own mind's understanding. And sometimes we allow the difficulties of our life to overwhelm us to the point where we can't see your face. I pray, Jesus, all that would be set aside and we would just rest in your presence. I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts tonight or this morning and uh, just pray you be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, we, I imagine I got a blender here on this table and, and when we're born into life, we have this blender and we pour these thoughts that we have of God into this blender. So each of us are formulate our own thoughts about him. And so the first thing that we end up pouring into that blender is our relationship that we have with our dad. And whether you have one, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, or whether you never had one at all, that impacts your initial view of God. I know that I have three daughters, Abby, Ellie, and Selah. They're seven, five, and three. I know that I'm, I represent to them early on in their stages their first view of who God is and what he's about. And I take that very seriously. You know, and so you pour those into that. And so in my relationship, my first experience with God was my dad who worked all the time and was never home. And so I didn't really have a good understanding of who God was. I didn't really feel like uh, that he was always around. We never went to church growing up as a kid. Uh, we, we just constantly moved. We, he, he worked for a, a restaurant company that ran college and hospital food services. So I lived everywhere from Chicago to New Orleans and in between. We, we would move. I moved 13 times my first 12 years just constantly on the move. And then we got into the restaurant business. And so as we're, now we own a couple of restaurants, and that's, any of you have been in business for yourself in that capacity, that's a lot of work. So all my days were spent playing sports, and then I would go to the restaurant, and I'd start washing dishes. Or I'd, yeah, I'd wash dishes. I didn't get in. I really wanted to move up in the world, and the, my parents would let me. But so I washed a lot of dishes. And funny thing is, two weeks into my marriage with my wife, Kim, I said, hey, um, I just want you to know I've been washing dishes since I was nine, and I, I don't want to wash dishes no more. <laughs> and that lasted about a day. And, <laughs> and praise God, I'm, my kids are starting to learn, figure out how to wash dishes. It's an exciting time in my life right now. Uh, so very thankful they're chipping in. Uh, you know, so it's like, man, I, I, not knowing a lot about God. We did live in a church one time that was converted into a house, so I did have a little bit of taste of God. My mom bought a children's Bible. I don't think she wanted the building to burn down that we're living in. So she's like, hey, let's read this. And she read it to us one time. And I was like, all right, pretty cool, you know. And so then we moved to San Antonio. And one of my friends invites me to a church camp for a week. And I didn't even know I was at a church camp. And my parents are like, yeah, get out of the house. That'd be great. You know, you're wearing us out or whatever. So they, they sent me off to this church camp. I had no idea I was at a church camp. All I knew was there was competitions and that those were to be won by me. And so whatever that was, I was going to win. I didn't care what we were playing, you know. And so one of the main competitions was the splash contest. They had a pool at this, at this church camp. And so I was just letting out some unbelievable splashes, okay. Just I had a really neat, not a cannonball, but it was more of like a, I call it a preacher seat, kind of a splash, special unique thing I kind of worked on. Anyway, the, the three-time reigning champ was in my cabin. And, and he was already guaranteed to represent our cabin, but I was challenging him each day saying, hey, let's just see. If, I mean, I know that you're three-time champ, but let's just compare splashes, get an audience, have some kids sit around, and I'm organizing this. And, and sure enough, I'm just beating them. And, but sure enough, I don't get to represent our cabin. So I've got to let that go. It's still a problem in my life, but uh, the good thing is I came to know Jesus at this retreat. At this retreat. Uh, 
I may have used that at some level in my life. But, you know, I remember just sitting in the, count, in the cabin in the bottom bunk and the counselor's like, if anyone wants to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they could pray a prayer with me. And I remember thinking, who is Jesus? What is this? Where am I? You know, apparently I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in the public groups when they were talking about him. But I was like, yeah, I'd like to, I think I'm in for that, some of that. And so I prayed this prayer and, and Jesus came into my life. I came home and I have a sister that's five years older than me. And I was just like, man, I was like, man, there's something different. I was excited. And I asked my mom, do you have that children's Bible that you read to us a few years ago? And she's like, yeah. So I went and took that and I read that. I had that in my room every night. I read it every night before I went to bed for the next three years of my life. Never went to church, never went to a Sunday school, but I just read it almost two times through. It was one of those thick old school children's Bibles, if you guys remember. And uh, I was just like, man, this is awesome. I had fun times reading this thing, you know. And, uh, and then we all, we all go through certain struggles in our life. We have things that kind of uh, pain, you know, to really connect with someone's soul. We talked about this a little bit with the men's retreat. You have to, you have to be willing to, to know someone's pain is to really know the depths of them. And a lot of us are afraid to share our pain because that was a great hurt in our life. And we don't want that to be exposed. We don't want others to think, have these thoughts about us. So we keep that stuff hidden in our life. It's like, um, I can have a house, it's all cleaned up, but hey, don't check out the closets. That's where the junk is, that's where the pain, that's where the sorrow is. Let's just keep that closed, but look how nice my living room is. I just vacuumed, it looks nice. And so that, but what ends up happening is instead of enjoying the whole house, we allow that one little section, that one little closet to be the thing that controls us. And it's going to rear its ugly head until we open up that door and we let Jesus in there. And when we let Jesus in there, he says, man, I'm cleaning that all up. I'm going to take that pain, that sorrow. Let's take it to me. And so what I had in my own life is I had a real painful thing that I had shoved into a closet for years. And it happened when I was 13. And some of you may be in here being 13 years old. And so as I was working with my parents, there was a cook. She was married. She was uh, with two kids, 23 years old. And she and I started to talk a lot. And then one uh, summer day, we had planned it out, and I went to a hotel room with her. And as I'm in the hotel room with her, I end up, we end up doing things. And I went into the bathroom, and I sat between the toilet. It was right here. It was a Best Western, I remember. And the toilet was right here, and the tub was right here. And I stuck myself right in between it, and I got down a little ball, and I just started weeping. I'm like, Jesus, you're, you have to be done with me. I just broke one of the biggest commandments that there is. You have to be through with me. And I just sat there, and at that point, I poured that into my blender. That's who God is. He's, he's through with me. I'm done. And so as I'm just weeping there, I get myself together, and then I leave, and I don't tell anybody. You know? I don't have, who am I going to talk to? I certainly can't talk to my parents about this stuff. And so we end up selling our restaurant a couple months later. We moved to Indianapolis. And I was thinking, no, oh, this is great. I can just leave all that behind. Right? We oftentimes do that. We think, oh, I just need a new transition, maybe a new relationship, new, new job, new place to live, and that pain will go away. And so I was thinking, oh, that's going to go away. And so then I just got myself into football and baseball, and I just did both very well. But when I would lose, and I didn't realize this until later, I was very competitive and still am, but when I would lose, I felt like I was a failure all over again, and I felt like I was back between that toilet and the bathtub. And so, praise God, I didn't lose much. But when I did, it really crushed me, you know. And so my senior year, I ended up getting a scholarship to play baseball at University of Louisville, left-handed pitcher. And so when I go there, 
I just, I just, I just got tired of the pressure of trying to perform. And I just started doing things for myself. Started going out, partying a lot, drinking. Uh, I got involved in gambling. I had a bookie. I did a lot of things like that. I almost lost my scholarship. Uh, after my freshman year, I was playing basketball. I tore my right ACL, so the game of baseball was stripped away from me for a whole year, which was really a big struggle, struggle because that's where I found my identity. And so I didn't have that any longer. The gambling thing came in. Uh, the girl I was dating dumped me. I was a train wreck. I'm pretty sure she's regretting that now. But, uh, just kidding. <laughs> you know, so it was like, man, all these things just came to a head in my life, and it was brutal. And, um, and then I ended up meeting a girl from England at a bar. And I had, uh, I've noticed this girl a couple of different times at this bar, so I, I walk up to her. I put my name and number on a piece of paper, and I walk up to her, and I said, I, I noticed you're chewing gum. I really don't like it when people put gum underneath the table. Why don't you just put in this little piece of paper? Pretty smooth. <laughs> anyway, it worked. Uh, so uh, she ends up calling me, and, and then one thing leads to another, and uh, uh, she leaves, and I'm not sure if she's pregnant or not. And it, here I am at 20 years old. I don't have anything. I've lost just about everything. She leaves that night. I call my sister, who had come to know Jesus a few years before, and I said, Tab, I, I don't really have anything to hold on to anymore. I've lost everything. My life's a mess. Do you have anything for me? And she said, uh, you should repent and turn to Jesus. And I was like, well, what does that mean? You know, if this, if, here's Jesus at the cross. The Bible says that there's no good that dwells within us apart from Christ. Our natural walk, our natural tendency bent is just to walk away from God. And there's nothing good in me that's going to make me turn to Him. And so repentance is that. Is that I recognize that, man, I... I've got nothing and that my sin is against you, Jesus. And I turned to him and I did that in April of 1993. And I just, I just started crying in my apartment room and just, I laid down everything. I got a, I, it was the first time I was able to stand up from that toilet tub experience. Because I was just a little boy hiding for, for all that time. The closets were closed. No one could see that. And it was like I got to stand up. It was like, fittingly, it was like Rocky at the top of the steps. You know, I was like, man, I woke up the next morning. It's like, I'm, I'm free. I'm free, Jesus. And because of my gambling thing, I was, given, I was given blood and plasma to try to get some extra money. And so I, uh, I was doing that prior to that. And then uh, I get a letter about two weeks later from the blood bank. And I'm thinking, uh, this is the early 90s. I'm thinking, oh, no, I've got AIDS. I, I probably do. I, I don't know nearly anybody that I was actually with. I didn't, I didn't know those people. And I could. And so I'm... I take that letter outside my, my apartment room and I said, Jesus, if, if this is what I have, I'm going to praise you with the last breath that I have because I was headed to hell and, and you've come to give me life. And Jesus, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you everything I got in a little bit of time that I have left. And I open it up and they just wanted more blood. And I was like, ah, sweet. You know, praise the Lord. You can have it. You can have it all. I don't care. You know. But going back to that girl from England... I end up, uh, for the next week, I, uh, I end up just uh, reading as much as I could in the Bible. And my sister had mailed me one, and I just started reading it. And I call her up, and I, I buy her a Bible and uh, a pregnancy test, which is not the typical combination platter when you're going to connect with somebody about Jesus. But I take that to her, and she's not pregnant. And I give her the Bible, and I just start telling her about Jesus. 
and uh, for two hours. And she was like, why are you, why, why don't I understand? What, why did you do, why have you been living the life that you've been living? And I was like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know Jesus. I, I didn't experience him, but I want you to know Jesus. And so she leaves to go back to England. I get a letter from her two months later saying that she'd come to know Jesus. I was like, wow. You know, uh, we, we, we do bad things in our life, and yet Jesus can take those things when we turn to him, and he can make it for his glory. Amen? And, and it was just like, all right, Jesus, this is pretty cool stuff. I'm no longer sitting in the stuck between the toilet and the tub. I'm out actually talking to people about you now. And I, and I want to be able to share the love of Christ. And so for so long, I had this blender. And when people would come up to me prior to that and talk to me about God, I had that thing in my blender as I thought was the representation of God. And people would come and say, Jesus loves you, drink of this. And that was my drink, which was this little boy stuck between the toilet and tub thinking God hated him. I'm not going to drink that. And Jesus says to us, dump that out. It's John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Hey, come drink of my water, the living water, Right? Well, our water is not living. It's dead. It's a pool. It's a scum. It's a mess. And yet we think we make these views of God with that. And it's not even close to who God is. And so Jesus said, let's dump that out. Let's, let me pour into you now. And that's what I've been able to experience. We've had such a Pablo Picasso portrait of Jesus. He's got three eyes. He's distorted. What does he look like? I don't know. I, I want to follow him, but I'm not really interested in following him all that much. I just want to give him the parts of my life that I'm supposed to give him. But I'm not really interested in him because he's a bit distorted and I don't know who he is. And that's not what Jesus, that's not who he is. And when you think of Jesus, it's like, what are your thoughts? You know, many of us go right to the cross. He died for my sin. That's true. And so I wanted to give a little bit different take on Jesus as we look at some different scriptures. But one of the things that I want to talk about is when we come to our view of Jesus, we oftentimes take... Uh, we take ourselves and our greatest acts, okay, and then we multiply that, multiply that by our level of arrogance, and that's who Jesus is. And it's, that's not even sniffing close. Oh, A.W. Tozier said that the best definition I heard of, of God is, so not man. He is just the complete opposite, and yet at levels he still comes to us and embraces us and loves us. And that's what's overwhelming about the whole relationship that takes place with Jesus. And so we have this messed up view. So how do I get a right view of Jesus? You know, you think about this. If, I remember sitting with a guy who went fly fishing with some of the Diamondback players when we went to Colorado. And I'd never done it before. And the players had paid for this big, cool thing. And they had a, we had a guide. And the, our fly fisherman guy was also a chef. And we had this unbelievable place. It was quite the experience. But coming from Phoenix, we're in this river up in Steamboat Springs. It was in May. And all of a sudden, you can just see the storm coming in. It's just snowing. And we're out there fly fishing, and I'm freezing to death. Like, I'm cold right now a little bit. You know, this is our winter outside. So uh, I didn't want to come with a jacket. It looked like a, looked like, a, like a wimp. But I was like, man, you know. I was, so I'm like, he's over there. And I kept tangling up my fly into the, into the weeds or whatever I was. I wasn't very good at it. And, and he's over there just trying, hands shaking, just trying to put that thing. I was like, hey, hey, hey. I, I'm more interested in being warm than catching a fish. You want to go sit in that car over there and just kind of hang out for a second until the snow passes? He's like, that'd be awesome. You know? So I'm sitting with him. I was like, hey, man, where are you from? I'm from, you know, New England area. All right. Awesome. You got any, like, faith background? You grew up in any kind of church? He's like, well, I grew up a little bit Catholic, but nothing. Kind of moved out here. I don't really have any 
any thoughts of God. I go, no thoughts of God, nothing? It's like, no, not really. It's like, yeah, man, how about this? What are your thoughts on Jesus? You got any thoughts there? You know, I really don't know much about him. I go, how about this? You know, a lot of times when we look at Jesus, we have these kind of crazy views of him. I go, in John chapter 2, Jesus was invited to a wedding. Do you know that? He's like, no. I go, no, he was invited to a wedding, but he provided some beverages. Really? He's like, yeah, there, you know, you probably heard of the water of the wine. Yeah, I'm familiar with the water of the wine. But can you imagine if you grew up in the South, and I'm talking to this guy, you know what the South's like. You have an idea of that when it comes to God? Oh, yeah. Well, if you went to a wedding and there was alcohol there, what do you think would happen? Oh, you'd probably be in big trouble. Yeah. I go, but did you know in the next chapter, in that next section in John chapter 2, that Jesus was at church? You know what he did there? He's like, no. I go, he turned up the tables. They were selling stuff in that church, and they were, not, they were making a mockery of God at this place, at the temple. I go, Jesus was frustrated there. I go, so he's at a party at one scene, and then he's frustrated here another. It's almost the opposite at levels of the way we look at Jesus at times. And so when we think of Jesus, we're like, well, if Jesus is going to show up to Delaware, I don't even know what town I'm in. <laughs> Where are we at here, Jimmy? Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're thinking, all right, if Jesus is going to show up here and he's going to hang out, all right, well, we're thinking, well, where is Jesus going to be? Is he going to come here? You know, and oftentimes that's, oh, yeah, Jesus is going to hang out in church. That's where he likes to be. But the reality is, as we look at Scripture, Jesus is in some pretty unique places. He's hanging out with some unique people. Check this out. Mark chapter 2, verse uh, 13 through 17. I'm going to read out a New Living Translation. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collecting booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Levi, also known as Matthew, got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other notorious sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who are sinners. And then when I read this, I was like, Wow, this is pretty interesting about Jesus. It shows, tells a lot about him. And when you think about a tax collector, and many of us don't know this, but historically what took place back then was that the Romans, the Romans were no fools. They had the Greeks before them, Alexander the Great. He had, remember Alexander the Great's great uh, quote? He wept because there was no more land to conquer. But eventually it, it, it ended because he didn't have a way to, to control an empire so vast. So the Romans figured that out, and Caesar understands that. So he builds this road system, you know, and he sets up this road system because if I'm going to have an empire this big, I've got to be able to send out my military to squash anything that rises up so that I keep my empire intact. And the only way an empire can, that large can function in that capacity was to have these roads and to have a large military, but also it needed money in order to finance that. Hence, the people got taxed. The Jews at that time in Jerusalem said they were taxed between 80 and 90% of what they had. And so a tax collector would get that money. Their own people would get that money from them. And so they were the most despised people because they were already getting taxed and they would take extra to make their houses better at the expense of their own people. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew wrote his gospel to the very people that hated him. No one liked him. The Jews, that's who Matthew wrote his, te- his, his gospel to. And it shows the love of Christ, that he loved them. And so here's a man that's been ostracized, and Jesus walks up to him and says, You 
I like. And it wasn't like Jesus didn't say that to everybody. He did. And yet he says, Matthew, you come, you come follow me. And to leave that position as a tax collector was crazy. Nobody did that. Because once you get in, you're in. You know? You're getting... It's like getting... Once you get 10 years in the big leagues, you get full pension. You got it. You know, for the rest of your life. It's a great gig. You can't lose it. Or if you're a major league umpire. Once you become a major league umpire, you can't get out unless you commit a felony. You know, and I know some players are hoping some of the umpires actually do that. You know? But it's like, man, you're in. And so here he's in, and he, he gives that all up. He gave up a lot to follow Jesus. But then what's cool about the scripture is it says that he invited Jesus along with many other notorious sinners. And Jesus is hanging out. And it said that there were many people of this kind that followed Jesus. That tells me a lot about Jesus. It tells me a lot about myself. When was the last time a notorious sinner invited me over to his house for dinner? When's the last time I invited a notorious sinner to my house for dinner? You know, we kind of get stuck in our rut, do we not, when it comes to introducing people to Jesus? We just oftentimes think that Jesus is going to hang out with us in our holy huddles and we just look at the other people. Who are the people that are opposite of you? You know, what are they like? Do you have relationships with people that are completely different from you? Or do you just try to find people that are like you and you just hang out with them? One of the reasons we don't connect Jesus to people is because we're a little bit scared of that. But I'm like, why? The Bible doesn't say that I'm supposed to convert people. That's not my job. It's not Pastor John's job. It's not Pastor Terry's job. It's not any of our jobs. It's not my job to convert somebody to Jesus. It's my job to introduce people to Jesus. Just like I'm here, it's my wife. My wife was here. Hey, this is Kim. This is my wife. She's beautiful. Love her. This is my wife. Get to know her. She's great people. You know? Hey, let me, let me share with you who Jesus is. You, have you ever met him? You know what he's done? You remember, he, he's fed 5,000 people with just a couple loaves, a few fish. It's crazy stuff. You know what? It's awesome. I remember going to Japan. I was in Japan in August. And one of the things that I talked about, I had a friend of mine named Carl Medeiros who's written a, some pretty cool books. He basically has been a missionary in, in, uh, in Beirut. He has a real connection with the Muslim world. And so just getting to know him because I'm interested in that world and sharing Jesus into that culture and, and getting to know a little bit the ins and outs there. And so Carl was, he went to, uh, when he had his furlough back in Colorado Springs, he had a nine-month furlough. And his church said, hey, we don't have a pastor. Would you mind being a pastor for nine months? He's like, hey, I don't know if I want to do this. And so, but he went ahead and accepted it. And he's thinking, I've got to find a place where I can study and, and prepare my messages. So he thought about, where's the one place in this city that no Christian's going to be at? So that I don't feel like I'm going to get interrupted So when I do this. And so he found the, the liberal coffee shop run by a bunch of people that were completely opposite of Carl. And so he goes in this coffee shop and he starts hanging out. And he's like, man, I'm really digging this. And so he starts to get to know the people at the coffee shop. The manager's name was Mike. And he starts connecting with Mike. And, and he says, Mike, I've got a question for you, man. He's like, what is that? What do you think of Jesus? He's like, ah, well, I mean, I think he's probably a good guy. All right, nice. Hey, if Jesus was going to come to our town in Colorado Springs, where do you think he's hanging out? Oh, I guys think he's hanging out with James Dobson. Or I don't know, is he in Colorado Springs? Yes, good. I thought I blew that one. He's like, got to go with James Dobson on that one. I mean, he's got that whole focus stuff going on over there and just big plays. I got and Carl hits his hand on like a buzzer. Eh, wrong answer there, Mike. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean, wrong answer? 
Let me ask you this. How about Jesus walks into this door right now and he's going to invite one of us to lunch. Who do you think it's going to be? Mike's like, I got to go with you, Carl. You look like you know what you're talking about. And he's like, eh, wrong answer again. I think he's taking you out, Mike. He's like, get out of town. Oh, yeah. He's going to take you out for lunch. He's like, really? He's like, I'm not messing with you. Jesus would be hanging out with you. He's like, I've, I've been able to develop a relationship with Jesus. He's interested in you. It's not that he's done with, with Carl by any means, but he's interested in these outcasts. And these outcasts hung out with Christ. And it's like, man, that tells me so much about Jesus. It's really cool. You know, we just kind of get in our little holy huddles and we don't engage other people. One of the things I've been sharing with the teams that have been coming in, I, when I do chapel, the visiting team comes in. Obviously, I do chapel with the home team with the Diamondbacks, but I also do one with the visiting team. I've been sending the same message all year. Fellas, who's the last guy that you think would be interested in following Jesus in your clubhouse? Don't give me a name, but just think of him. Now, have you invited that guy out for lunch? How about you do it on the next road trip? You know, just start building a relationship with him. You don't have to convert him. Sometimes we get into this mentality that he's got to be on our team. No, you know, Jesus didn't win one city for God while he was here. He didn't. He didn't come to build a kingdom. He brought one with him and he said, who's with me? And we just get wrapped up thinking we got to win. Oh, all I have to do is love Jesus, get to know who he is. Obviously, know him in scripture. Coming to church is huge in that development. But it's not just meant for me to have this information and stay in my pews and go back home and do my job and come back here on Sunday. That's a waste. And are you connecting Jesus with people? You are all strategically placed. It's pretty cool. You know? Jesus wants to use you and, and speak to you. But oftentimes, part of the reason why we don't feel like we can be used is because we don't think Jesus really likes us. We know he's supposed to love us, but we don't think he likes us. And Jesus does like you. I remember sharing that in Japan. I went there in August, and I'm doing these clinics, and 0.4%, 2 to 0.4% of all Japanese people are followers of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most unreached places in the entire world. And yet nobody, not very many people go there to take Jesus to the people. Because they look at them because they don't have any, they don't have any materialistic needs. It's not like Africa where you can send a, a box of Christmas gift because they've never received a gift. They have everything basically. But they don't have God and they don't have hope. And the suicide rate there is astronomically high. They average between 300 suicides a day. And, and it's really, and the only reason it's, it's more than that, because they only count as suicide if they leave a note. So it's, most people think it's three times that amount. There's no hope. They need Jesus. So getting over there to do these baseball clinics, because baseball is huge in Japan, and I'll have 50 kids there, and we'll be teaching them baseball, and then we get to share with them about Jesus. And I'll ask them, hey, how many of you ever heard of Jesus? And maybe 10 kids at the most would raise their hand that they've ever even heard of his name. And like, I get to share his name with these kids. What a privilege. I get to introduce them to Jesus Christ. What a joy. You know, and so I'm doing that and I bring up and I have a translator. And I said, listen, Jesus loves you, but he also likes you. And then afterwards, the translator comes to me. He's like, yeah, like doesn't really translate well into Japanese. They think of that as almost negative. I was like, note to self. You know, I was like, let's not go that metro. But they don't even really use the word love, you know. And it's, it's like, man, there's a lot of people out there. As I was talking to Carl, he called me up and he's like, hey, what do you, what do you got going on? I was like, I'm going to Japan. He's like, man, I heard Jesus loves those people too. I was like, right on. You know, that's where I'm headed. And I think sometimes we just, 
We're just so nervous to introduce people to Jesus. You know, why? You know, John's going to talk about his kids. He loves his kids. He's going to talk about Jesus because he loves Jesus. Rob and Diane, you're going to do the same. You know, you're going to talk about the people that you love. And you're going to talk about who you're in love with. And Jesus is in love with us. And he likes us. And he's got our photo in his wallet. You know, it's my boy right here. You know, and it's awesome to think like that. But because of my closet, we sometimes just won't let Jesus in so deep. I'm just here to say today, once you open that up and let Christ in there and heal you there. And don't be afraid to share that. A lot of people will say, well, I can't share my bad stuff with people because what do they think of me? I was like, who cares what they think of you? It's what they think of Jesus that matters. And you're the representation of that to them at this moment. And so I can sit there and say, Jesus has healed me. That's what I once did. It no longer defines who I am now. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So don't let those closets be what defines you. It's going to cripple you as it comes to sharing Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. That is a true statement. I've been able to find rest in my soul with Jesus. You know? So, Jesus digs the outcast, but he also digs us. And he wants us to take that great message of hope and love to people. Let him figure out the ins and outs of how to convert people. He's the best at that. Let us just take Jesus to the streets, take him to wherever, and introduce people to him. It's really not that threatening of a statement to make. Hey, you got any thoughts on Jesus? No? You want to hear some of mine? No? Maybe next time? You know, so what? All right. You know, I just want to take them. But I build relationships with people for the purpose of that, is to be able to connect them to Jesus. It's a great privilege that's been bestowed upon us, the body of Christ. So let's do it. Let's pray.